0: You are Locked On Jets, your daily podcast on the New York Jets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's Thursday, April 19th, 2018, and you are Locked On Jets. I am John B. from gangrenenation.com. Thank you for joining us today. And we are just one week until the NFL draft begins in Dallas, Texas. One week from today, the Jets will be picking their new quarterback of the future, the next savior of the franchise, and hopefully for Jets fans, this guy actually will be the savior of the franchise. Jets have not had a lot of luck in recent years drafting quarterbacks, uh, many failures, not many successes. It's also the day that I think is one of the most overhyped on the NFL calendar. It's the schedule release. Uh, We'll find out the regular season schedule, and It amazes me that the NFL can take something that is just so meaningless and hype it up the way they do and make a big TV special out of it. And part of the reason it's so meaningless is, we don't know who the good teams are going to, you never know who the good teams are going to be in the NFL. I mean, okay, well, we know New England's going to be good, but outside of that, you don't know who's going to be you know, who's going to have a good year, who's going to exceed expectations, who's going to play worse than expectations, who's going to suffer devastating injuries. We don't know this. And every year, people make a big deal. They tell you what the easy games are and the tough games are. All you need to know is that this time last year, people were talking about Jacksonville as one of the Jets' easiest games in 2017. And the Jets actually did win that game, but Jacksonville was a really good team. They won the division. They came really within the play of going to the Super Bowl. So it just show we know nothing and it's gonna get overhyped. Um, so but we'll we'll get plenty of uh, we'll hear plenty of talk about the schedule coming out today. Um, it is Thursday, however. We usually do a mailbag show on Thursday. So that's what we'll do today. And I think we're also gonna do a mailbag tomorrow because of the way this thing's lining up. You know, next week is the draft the draft will be on Thursday. We're gonna be heavily draft focused next week. So on Thursday I don't think we really are gonna have time for a mailbag. So we'll, maybe we'll do one today, one tomorrow. So if you don't get your questions answered today, there's always tomorrow. And let's jump right in. These are questions that were left in the comment section of gangrenation.com. First question, would you agree that the top four quarterback, quarterback prospects have concerns, but they all have potential of being a franchise quarterback? I'm referring to Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold, and Baker Mayfield. I wouldn't just agree. I think that's the way everybody should view it, is the way we should all view it. Look, we're all going to have our own views on these guys where we all watch their college footage. So, we may like one guy better than the other, but if you don't go to the draft process with a lot of humility, you either haven't been doing this for a long time or you don't know what you're talking about because there's no way anybody can be 100% certain that one guy's destined for greatness. Or another guy's destined for failure as, as much as we'd like to make ourselves sound assured of these things there's no way of really knowing i mean the pros the, the best of the best the greatest gms the greatest personnel guys the greatest coaches in this league have made some unfathomably bad picks every single one of them has made picks that are just horrible it's an uncertain proposition uh, when you look at these quarterbacks especially a quarterback and especially a quarterback in new york how's a guy going to react to instantly out of school be a being set for life financially and B becoming a huge star in the biggest market household name in the biggest mar- sports market in the country I mean, we don't know how they're going to respond to these things you know what kind of leadership role will they take how much better will they get i mean this is the extreme case and i don't I usually don't like talking about this guy and because because it's a once in a lifetime type deal but you think anybody thought tom brady had a franchise quarterback potential when he was drafted you know, when Tony Romo went undrafted, do you think anybody thought he had franchise quarterback? You never know how these guys are going to grow. Guys get better, and you don't know what their trajectory is going to be. So, yeah, I think that's a great way of looking at it. Look, there's the reason these guys are all going to go high. There's the reason these guys are all four probably going to go in the first round. They've all shown you some degree of ability. Now, they all do, but of course, they all come with questions. There's no perfect prospect, and none of these guys is perfect. I mean, I think with... Darnold, what you look at, are mechanically there are some issues there. He's he's wind he's got too much of a too much wasted motion, on his release. His release is too long, so he's got to fix that. You know, quick timing passing game. You got to get the ball out quick. That's what you, it's a quick timing passing game. So you got to get it out quick. So you don't want wasted motion that's going to delay the ball getting out. And his feet sometimes are shaky. With Rosen, you have concerns about some injuries that he's had is he going to be another sam bradford where he's good i mean sam bradford looks okay when he's on the field but he never stays on the field um allen and this is you know allen's concerns have kind of come to focus for me over the last couple weeks i went back and forth on allen during the season i didn't like him for certain points and i watched the film and i thought maybe his teammates were the issue and I've kind of fallen somewhere in between where I see the upside, but I also see concerns. And, you know, you want to talk bad footwork. I mean, his inaccuracy, I mean, he has some brutal throws. He has some absolutely brutal throws. And a lot of it, I think, stems from really inconsistent footwork. And every time I see a wild, erratic throw, it seems like something different going wrong with his feet. So it's not like it's, there's one problem that you can just drill into him that you can fix. I mean, it seems like there's a lot going on there. So, Allen comes with his share of question marks, and uh, Baker Mayfield, a guy I, I think has a lot of question marks as well, who did, um, you know, won the Heisman Trophy, a great college player, and I mean that, great college player, great story, he walked on and won, ended up winning the Heisman Trophy, but, you know, I think there are questions about him, size, you know, and I, I, size is a concern, look, size is something you can work around, but... It is an issue when you don't when you aren't big enough. Drew Brees, it may be small, but Brees is the best at just sliding in the pocket, finding throwing lanes that can compensate for his inability to see over his line. And the Saints also invest heavily in guard to prevent his pocket from collapsing. They've traditionally done that. Um, and also scheme. I mean, I don't think he's had to lift do a lot of the heavy lifting in that Oklahoma offense. I mean, part of it's due to the players around him. But part of it's just, dude, that's a great offensive system Oklahoma has, and it's almost unfair to Mayfield, because he kind of gets knocked for the offense he played in, because his coach is really a really good offensive coach, but I think there has to be some concern. I mean, he didn't do the same kind of heavy lifting the other guys did, so, but on the other hand, that doesn't necessarily mean he can't. Just because he didn't wasn't asked to do it doesn't mean that if you put that on his plate, he's not going to be able to execute. Maybe he can, we just don't know. And... Um, but, I mean, a lot to like there. I mean, again, the guy did win the Heisman Trophy for a reason. And, you know, the work ethic doesn't guarantee anything. But certainly, you know, the fact that he walked on, you know, people doubted him and he walked on. And I, I do think that people take the narrative a little too far. I think they are a little too certain of him. And just because you can walk on to college doesn't necessarily mean you can play in the NFL. But, look, I mean, the guy was a prolific college player. He showed you certain games. I, th- I thought there were three really outstanding games that, made me buy into him as a potential early pick and they were the game he played against texas tech and the two against tcu where he really did i thought in those games a lot of things you see nfl quarterbacks do but i think there were other issues there so i think all four of these guys you could see a path to them being very good. You could see a path to them busting. And that's just the way you have to view it. And look, I, I like Darnold Rosen. Those are my two top two guys. The Jets pick Mayfield. And I, th- you know, if you believe the buzz and who knows whether the buzz is right, but the buzz seems to be all pointing to all the media reports tend to, seems to be pointing to the Jets loving Mayfield. I mean, right now, if you're asking me point blank, who do I think the Jets are taking? I, my guess is probably Mayfield. So I think there's a very good chance he's the guy, but if the Jets take Mayfield or Allen over them. I'd, have concerns I have questions but I'm not going to go overboard I I mean I think you have to come to this with some degree of humility I mean there are lots of people that love these guys they love Mayfield they love Allen and some of them like like them better than the two Los Angeles guys so I mean anything can happen I think that's something that's important to realize and there's no perfect prospect there's no and if you're going in the first round there has to be some degree of potential so we'll judge them we'll judge them after they get into the league now Jets pick a guy and he doesn't do so well then we could start holding people to account. But till then, you know, I think once you pick a guy, you got to give him a chance because everybody's got a shot at succeeding in this league. Next question. What is your favorite Nick Mangold moment? The former Jets great center announcing this week that he is retiring from the NFL. He'll sign a one-day contract with the Jets next week and that's an interesting question because centers don't really you don't really think of centers in terms of one great moment i mean there there aren't really many instances where you say that center made a great play i'm sure the one most people are going to pick would be the game in 2014 against the Steelers when Michael Vick was kneeling down. The Jets were in victory formation. Michael Vick was taking the knee and one of the guys on the Steelers tried to jump over the line, I guess, to try and strip Vick of the ball or something like that. And Mangold caught him and slammed him to the turf. I think that's what most people would think of. Because again, centers don't really do a lot that stick out. I think the one I'd go with, though, I'd go in the 2009 playoffs, the 2009-2010 playoffs, the divisional round at San Diego when the Jets had a great road victory. And the way that game went down was the Jets were up 17-7 late in the fourth quarter, and then they went to prevent, and the Chargers went down the field and scored a touchdown with a little over two minutes left. Then the Chargers tried an onside kick that the Jets recovered, so the Jets were trying to run out the clock. And in many, most, most cases, you don't really gain much on the ground, but the Jets had such a great run-ground game that they actually— picked up a first down to ice the game, even though the Chargers loaded the—even though everybody in the building, everybody watching the game, no matter where you were, you knew the Jets were running there. And the Jets pounded the ball and ended up picking up a first down to seal the game and prevent the Chargers from getting it back. And especially there was a fourth—the fourth down, they actually went for it on a fourth and one. I loved the call. It was a great—you want to win in the playoffs, you got to roll the dice. you got to play to win. You can't play to not lose. And, you know, coaches get criticized if— if you ever roll the dice and it backfires, you, you get killed, and people talk about how dumb you are. But the teams that win, that you know, you can't count on your opponent once you get to the playoffs not executing. You can't count on your opponent failing. You have to out, go out there and out-execute them. And look, you know, look at the Eagles in the Super Bowl. If They rolled the dice a lot, and if one of those rolls of the dice that ended up snake guys, people would be killing Doug Peterson and talking about how stupid he was. But he did what he had to do to win the game. They had to roll the dice at points to play to beat New England. And that game, the Jets had a fourth and one, and it would have been easy to punt the ball. You know, it would have been easy to get the ball back to the Chargers, play prevent. But the Jets decided they trusted their offensive line, and they ran the ball. And every offensive, if you will go back and watch that play on YouTube, that fourth down play, that offensive line blew the Chargers off the ball. It was a, it was a situation, again, where everybody knew the Jets were running the ball. It was just man on man who was tougher. And the Jets offensive line was tougher. And they, they ran the ball right behind Mangold. Mangold drove his guy back and the Jets picked up the key first down and went on to the AFC Championship game after uh, beating the Chargers. So I think that, that might be my favorite moment, just the smash mouth football, everything on the line. And that's that's the thing about smash mouth football is you can know, a, a, team that, a team with a great offensive line, a team that really mauls in the run game, even when you know they're going to run, even when you're doing everything you can to stop it, they still run the ball effectively and that's the way those jet those Jets teams in the early Rex Ryan day were really Rex Ryan days were that offensive line was so good and Mangold was the anchor so i think that i'd say that would be my favorite moment next question uh, which quarterback is part of a more complex offensive system sam darnold or baker mayfield and again i i guess i alluded to this in the first question i think darnold's the answer um which is actually a knock on Tarnold's coaches because, again, I think the the reason Oklahoma runs a much simpler offense is because their coach is really good Coach is really good at they, they can run a simple offense and have produce those kind of results. Um, Darnold, I think, has more on his plate. And that also comes down to offensive line, where USC had some offensive line struggles this year, which, again, is a kind of a good thing in the evaluation process, because you want to see how a guy does in a muddy pocket. Be, you, have to, you have to be able to throw under pressure in the NFL. It's, it's just one of those things that you have to be able to do to have success in this league. And so, you know, I think we've seen more out of Darnold in that sense. But again, the tricky thing is that that doesn't necessarily mean Mayfield's incapable of doing it. It just means he wasn't asked to do it a lot in college. And, you know, I think the game I look to that concerns me about Mayfield would be the Rose Bowl against Georgia, because that was the first time a pass rush really got to him that year. And he looked really rattled and he started missing throws in that second half. But at the same time it's only one so how do i judge one game maybe it was just one bad game i mean heck i see from time to time tom brady get rattled by a pass rush when some when the heat's coming a lot and now it doesn't happen that often but everybody has bad games when the the pressure gets to them so it's just i think mayfield's just a trickier evaluation for me because it's you know you saw him do a lot of things that work in college that i'm not sure will work in the pros and you didn't see a whole lot of situations where he was tested the way he will be in the NFL. Could he pass the test? Absolutely. It's just, you know, it's a little tricky. It's a little tricky to evaluate, I think. Next question, Quincy Inunua. In 2016, the Jets played Inunua as a wide receiver, outside, in the slot, and as an H-back. But do you think that the willingness of the Jets to let Safarian and Jenkins walk and the decision not to go after a more proven tight end like Ebron or Burton in free agency indicates that Jeremy Bates plans to use Inunua more heavily in the H-back role? He would fill a similar role to a pass-catching tight end, making it less attractive for the Jets to re-sign ASJ or sign a more expensive veteran. It's a good question, and they actually used him quite a bit of in this role in 2015, and that, again, was a year where they did not have much of the tight end position, and they kind of used him almost the way the Cardinals utilized Larry Fitzgerald. Not totally the same, but the way the Cardinals utilized Larry Fitzgerald, where he was a big part of the run game as a blocker, and you know, that's in, it's an interesting question because of course at that point the offensive coordinator was chan gailey and if you know anything about a chan gailey offense gailey loves to load the field with wide receivers that's uh, that's something he loves to do personnel wise i'm not sure bates will do that this to the same extent so it's an interesting you know i don't know because i think that would make sense and i think you know in an ideal world what you'd get is terrell prior to join robbie anderson outside and maybe have a Nunwa to work the middle of the field a little more. And Nunwa does have blocking skills because we saw that in 2015. And you know, you go back to college, he ran in a, he was in a run heavy offense, lots of option. And those types of offenses, this is what where Nunwa played in and Nebraska, the wide receivers have to be able to block. They have to learn how they teach those guys how to block. So it's an interesting question. You know, it would be a little different from what we've seen from the way guys like Jeremy Bates have run their offense in the past. But it does make sense, so I I wouldn't be surprised to see see the Jets utilize it. But I'm not sure you're going to see them you, them utilize it as much as you did back in 2015 with Chan Gailey. I'm I'm thinking maybe they believe in Jordan Leggett. Maybe they believe in Clive Walford, the guy they picked up off waivers from the Raiders. You know, it, it would be it, it makes sense on paper, but it's just so it's so opposite of what you usually see from an offense the way Bates runs it. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. I'm not. It's one of those things where I feel like you, you're, you've put you put a logical thesis forward, but it's just not something you see frequently, not something I would expect to see with these guys. All right, next question. Um, who would you take at three if you couldn't take a quarterback? Well, let me just say this. The Jets should take a quarterback at three. You, you don't trade up from six to three. Get three second-round picks if it's not a quarterback because – Second-round picks are valuable, and second-round picks are some of the most valuable real estate in the draft because you still have a lot of high-quality players. There haven't been that many guys to go off the board, so you still get a decent crack at an impact player. But second-round picks make next to nothing. I mean, even with the number three pick, the Jets are going to give a contract that will be a bargain if the guy's a good player. But they're still giving out millions and millions of dollars. In the second round, you're paying the guy next to nothing. So the Jets gave up three second round pick. Those are three, three chances to add a high quality starter. And I think the only way you can justify that is by picking a quarterback. You know, that's the only guy who's going to have the type of impact who's going to make up for losing a chance at three high quality starters. So let me, I'll, I'll, I'll offer that preface first and I'll offer a second preface is, I do not love the top end talent of this draft outside of the quarterback position. And that's part of the reason I was not Upset with the Jets trading up because I think the Jets need to get a quarterback. I it's the last year there were lots of guys I liked who were non quarterbacks early in the draft. I don't love any of these guys, but since you asked, you asked a question and I have to give you an answer to that. Um, I think I would go with Bradley Chubb. Uh, just positional impact, you know. I think a good edge rusher is. We talked about positional value this week. I think a good edge rusher is as valuable as a great almost anything else. And the Jets need an edge rusher. I like Chubb. I think he you know I'm not sure he's a top, top end talent, but I think he's a quality player. Um I think he's gonna be a good edge rusher in this league. So if you're asking me which guy I'd take, I'd take a quarterback. But if you're asking if you're telling me I can't take a quarterback, I'm upset. I'm complaining, but I'm taking Bradley Chubb. And our last question convinced me Saquon Barkley at three. No, you know, I just said I have to answer the question. I can't. It would be... The Jets can't take Saquon Barkley at three. It would be an awful decision on a lot of levels. I mean, again, you go... And I don't hate the idea of taking a running back early. But man, you traded three second-round picks for a running back. Oh, jeez. And I mean, the thing is, if you're not taking a quarterback there was a decent chance that whoever you would, whoever you would have taken it, whoever you're going to take at three may have been available at six. So, which probably would not have been the case with the quarterback. I mean, you look at the other backs in this draft, guys you could have gotten later on instead of trading, you could have gotten a back in the really good back in the second round and still had a first round pick and still had a top 10 pick. And you're going to trade up for Saquon Barkley. And I, I'll be, I'm not a big Barkley fan. I got to be honest with you. And a lot of people disagree with me, a lot of people think Barkley's great, and maybe he will be, but man, he'd have to be something, I mean, he'd have to be like Jim Brown, I think, to justify trading up trading up three, three second round picks to get a running back, I mean, he'd have to be like Jim Brown, like a franchise-changing player, and I mean, as great as Barkley may be, as great as people think Barkley may be, I just don't know i I would have a very difficult time just I can't convince you because i I hate I'd hate the move i wouldn't I wouldn't dislike the move. I'd hate the move. So that'll do it for our show today. Thank you for listening and thanks for your questions. And again, I think we'll do a mailbag to, unless the events dictate. otherwise, I think we'll do a mailbag tomorrow, so we'll save we saving some of the other questions that were left tomorrow. so don't fret if your question was not answered. We'll try and get to, no promises, but we'll try and get to it tomorrow. This has been the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes or Spotify and leave the show a good review on iTunes. Hope you have a great Thursday. We'll be back tomorrow to close out the week.